Hi guys, I'm EVM and welcome back. Now the last time I did a video about the UK charge network, I think it was in 2018. Uh, and back then it was a much fragmented and complicated and they all had different ways of accessing the networks. It was a bit of a mess really and it needed a long video just to explain to people what you needed to do to access them, apps, RFID cards, things like that. Uh, but now we're in 2021 and the charge network is very different. There are a lot more charge points, which is good. Unfortunately, it's still kind of fragmented. It's, a, it's unnecessarily complicated, but not as bad as it was. Things are changing and changing for the better. Contactless payments, for example, is a lot more common now, at least on rapid chargers. Um, so this is effectively the updated version of that video. I'm gonna give you a list of all the apps and any RFID cards that I would suggest anyone gets. So for example, if I was saying, no, my, my, my parents, if they've just got a full EV and they said, what app should we get? What RFID card should we always have in the car, in the glove box? That's basically what I'm giving you here. The list of things I think everyone should have. I won't mention every single network. I'm gonna to stick to the major uh, nationwide ones. There's no point in me telling you about every regional variation will be here all week. So I will show you near the, nearer the end of the video what you have to do to find out A, where the charge points are and what charge point uh, network runs and how you access them basically. It's very easy, it's very straightforward. You just need effectively an internet connection and a browser. Um, so we'll do that nearer the end, but for now I'll give you a list of apps and uh, RFID cards that all EV drivers should have. Yeah, maybe I should have just led with that. For anyone that is subscribed to the channel, if you're not, please do, but if anyone that is, uh, there's going to be a lot of different videos compared to normal because the half a dozen press cars I had en route over the next several weeks, of course, aren't turning up now, given the current situation, so uh, who knows what you're going to get. Right, let's start off with this now. Um, I will mention contactless first because some networks just use contactless, which is exactly what we want. That's how it should be. Well, no, that's how it should have been from day one. All these uh, charge networks that are proudly going, we are now installing uh, contactless payments on all our charge points. Yeah, you were told about this over a decade ago and you chose not to, and now you're saying like it's a positive that you're installing them. No, no, you just didn't have the foresight to see what everyone else did. Anywho, rant over, I'll try not to veer off to a, <laughs> a rant through this video, but we are talking about charge networks here, so I can't promise uh, that I won't. Uh, let's mention the, the good ones first, the ones that I would always prioritize. The best, I would say, and the reviews of charge networks across the country kind of bear this out as well, is Instavolt, and I would say Osprey, which used to be called Engini if you're unfamiliar with Osprey. Don't know why uh, they keep on rebranding themselves, the charge networks, but I don't know, who knows. Uh, yeah, Instabolt effectively, very good network, most reliable one for me, and you just basically stick a contactless card on the side and plug in. Same with the Engini slash Osprey one. Uh, Shell as well, Shell Recharge, they're contactless too. Although they do have an app, I just stick with contactless. And that's effectively what I'm doing here. Stick with the easiest option. If you want, get the Shell app as well as using contactless, but for me, well, it's kind of unnecessary, isn't it? Uh, now, a lot of BP Pulse 
of their network is contactless as well in terms of their rapid chargers, but not all of them are. So ultimately you're still gonna need something else. And uh, I'll come back to BP Pulse later on because they have a slightly more complicated setup than others. Um, bear with me, it's just one of those videos where it's gonna sound complicated, but ultimately it isn't that bad. Okay, right, so one thing that you will, or some things that you'll need in your EV glove box, as it were, is of course a smartphone. You're not gonna get very far without one of these. Whether it's the browser, the web browser, or an actual app, I'll you know tell you that in a second, but you will need a smartphone, clearly. I would also recommend, even though you can pay with contactless with these things, to always have a debit card, a contactless payment debit card with you, because not all charge points work with Apple or Google Pay, so your phone effectively. I think most people probably will, but certainly given the current situation and, and how good these are now, a lot of people are going out with just their phones. You'll need the debit card potentially as well. Righty, let's get on with the apps themselves. So uh, get your phone ready or a pen and paper or something like that. These are the ones that I would recommend sticking on your phone, ignoring the regional variations I've already mentioned. Uh, Genie Point, get their app. Uh, Ecotricity's The Electric Highway, you will need that as you can only access theirs via the app, which is a, a ridiculous thing and they're all the only charge networks at the service areas, which most people call the monopoly, and they're the most unreliable network. I'm going off on a rant again, aren't I? Calm down now. Yes, Electric Highway app, uh, the Podpoint app. I will put a link, uh, sorry, a I will put something in the description below with this mentioned. So you don't have to you know, keep rewinding the video. Um, uh, BP Pulse app as well. Go for the BP Pulse app, although you may not need it because of what I'm gonna mention later on. And that's it. That is all the apps I would go for. Genie Point, the Electric Highway or Ecotricities, uh, Podpoint and BP Pulse. The rest can either be accessed via a web browser on your phone, you know, you scan a QR code or something, or uh, it's contactless. There are a couple of caveats to that in RFID card world, but I'll get to them again in a second. Bear with me. First, I'll mention the BP Pulse system because they have two ways of accessing their network. A pay-as-you-go way, which would be like contactless or via their app, because not all of their chargers use contactless. Uh, and they also have a membership. So you pay £7.85 per month, I believe it is, and then you get an RFID card as part of that membership, but you, you can also charge for cheaper. So it makes charging cheaper. So this is entirely up to you whether you think it's worth you getting BP Pulse membership or not. The RFID card makes things simpler. It always does. Genie Point have an RFID card option and it only costs you nine pounds. I would probably go for that if you're gonna use Genie Point even vaguely um, regularly. But in terms of BP Pulse, you have to pay effectively for the RFID card on a monthly basis because it's part of the membership. You get cheaper charging, so if you do a lot of charging on BP Pulse, it pays for itself. It might even be financially beneficial to become a member. If you're only gonna use BP Pulse less than two or three times a month, it's probably worth sticking with just using the app. So that's up to you whether or not you think it's worth it or not. Now onto the RFID cards, which is a little bit un more complicated than it needs to be. There's only really one that I would suggest you get beyond the BP Pulse one I've already mentioned uh, and the optional Genie Point one. Uh, there's two networks. One is called Charge Your Car, 
and one is called Chargeless Scotland. They're basically the same network. If you have an RFID card for charge your car, it works in Scotland. If you have a Chargeless Scotland card, it works on the Charge Your Car network. So don't get them both, basically. You only need one. It's £20 for a year for the RFID card, and then that gives you access to it. And you have to use their RFID card. I would not recommend using the online web version uh, for Charge Play Scotland, for example, and I go to Scotland reasonably often because it's just not reliable enough. It's as reliable as a politician's guesstimate. So I would definitely get the RFID card if you go anywhere near Scotland. Um, what I'd suggest is to just get it anyway. Spend £20, even if you don't think you might use it, charge your car or charge play Scotland, because at least for the first 12 months, it's there. You never know what's going to happen. And let's face it, if you're spending 25, 30, 40, 50 grand on a car, 20 pounds not going to make a big deal, is it? So get the card, stick it in your glove box, and if, if after 12 months when it expires, you didn't use it, just don't renew it. Uh, but that is the only real RFID card beyond the optional membership, if you choose to go to it, that I would probably recommend you go for. As I said, the Genie Point, you can just use their app. The RFID card is probably worth doing for £9. I think that's a one-off £9 as well. So, it, it, again, an RFID would be always easier than an app or a web interface. Oh, actually, sorry, I've missed another one. Uh, Northern Ireland have a network called eCarney or maybe eCarNI. Uh, I've, I've never used them, I'll fully admit that, and that is via RFID card. So I guess if you're going to or you live in Northern Ireland, you're going to need that one. A lot of other ones that I haven't mentioned, uh, Ionity, for example, all you need is a smartphone. You can do it all on the phone using the web browser, you know, you scan a QR code sort of thing. So you don't need an app, you don't need anything, anything specific other than a device that can use the internet. Uh, so that's what a lot of them do as well. Personally, contactless is always my preference. I would choose that for ease of use over a cheaper network which is why I would always say that if you're going somewhere and there are two or three options, you know, you can say, well, I could use that network or that network or another network or some, you know, they're all in close proximity. I would go for uh, InstaVault first over any other and then maybe Osprey. Basically, if it uses contactless, I would always go for that first because it just works then. It's also the only way we're going to get rid of the networks that refuse to use contactless payment on all their charges. Mm -hmm. If nobody uses them, and sometimes you don't have a choice clearly, but if nobody uses their networks and uses the other ones that do take contactless, then maybe they'll either be forced into it to survive or they'll just disappear. So that's what I would suggest. Now, the regional variations. For example, if you live in London, you're going to want Source London, which is, I believe, an RFID card. Uh, so now we're going to show you how to effectively have a look at what's in your area or an area you're visiting and what you have to do to find out what network that's on and therefore from that you can find out how you access it. Oh and if you're wondering who BP Pulse are, they used to be called Charge Master, then BP Charge Master, also known as Polar or Polar Instant. If I had their customer service record I'd probably rebrand myself every so often too. Doing it again aren't I? Now, when it comes to finding out what charge points are in your area, there are two websites that I would always recommend using. Uh, one is called PlugShare, so PlugShare.com, 
Uh, my personal preference, however, is ZapMap. So that is zap-map.com. Again, I'll put all the links in the description below if you're, uh, you know, so you can go straight to it. Okay, so uh, I'll, I'll assume you're not that au fait with using the internet. So basically go to Google and search for Zap Map and it will come up straight away at zap-map.com. Click on Live Map on the top left-hand corner and you will see this. Now what you can see here is effectively all the charges and it's, uh, well, there's an awful lot, isn't it? So what I want to do is effectively search for where I'm wanting to uh, visit. So let me pick the closest place to me, Skipton, that's the nearest town, and that will take me to here. I'll just zoom out a bit so you can see what I'm saying. So here we are in uh, North Yorkshire, and if I zoom in, all the purple ones are rapid chargers. So what I could do, if I click on this arrow on the left, is basically filter it by connector type. So I'm gonna click on rapid chargers. I just want to see rapid chargers, please. Okay, apply. And then what that will do is only show me the rapid chargers. See, they're all purple. There you go, so that one there. That is in Morrison's. If I just click off it and then click on the other one, that is in the High Street car park. And it tells you there, see where it says Osprey, that is the, the, the network effectively that uh, that is using. If you click on that page or that part of the page, it then gives you more information. This tells me that uh, the CCS 50 kilowatt, uh, Chadamore 50 kilowatt and type two is available. It won't say it's available for all networks. I should point that out. It on, uh, ZapMap only has live data for certain networks, but basically it tells me what type of connector they've got. This one, for example, is telling me that someone right now is using the Chadamore connector, which a, a Nissan Leaf uses, for example. What I would do then is click on the eye down below, and that will tell me all, I, all the information I need. It tells me where it is for your sat-nav, if you want to find it, what network it uses, Apple Pay, oops, <laughs> Apple Pay, uh, you can use the app, or Zap Pay, which is something ZapMap have uh, implemented now. Effectively, accepts contactless and credit cards. That's all I need to know. That's how much they charge, and it tells me when it's open, what type of place it's in, in this case, a car park. So that, that basically gives you all the information you need. If I click on the Morrison's one, and that again, it will tell me the speed of the chargers, type two, Chadamore, CCS. If I click on the eye at the bottom again, the address, it's a Genie Point one, I can use the app or the RFID card if I have it. That tells me how much it costs me to use it and a few other details. Um, and also pay attention to the parking because sometimes you do have to pay for parking whilst you're charging. So it's worth reading that type of thing. Uh, another thing which I'm not gonna really go into too much detail on this particular video, but what you can do with ZapMap, if you click on the panel on the left side again, so let me just get rid of that filter for a second, is click on Route Planner. Uh, let's imagine I'm going from Skipton to, I don't know, Manchester, that'll do. Um, and click Find Route. I'm not gonna go into, as I said, too much detail, but effectively I pick which one I want of two options using Google Maps. So I'll pick the one on the left that's orange, select. And what it will do is give me all of the charges within, I think it's a mile or two of that route. So if you think I need to charge on route somewhere, this will give you all your options. There are very, you can change it a lot. And again, I'm not gonna go into it on this, but that's effectively how you can plan a journey as well, or if you're wanting to charge on route. So if I wanted to charge there, I'd click on that, and it would tell me that this BP Pulse one is out of service. 
as of five minutes ago. So it's definitely worth checking on stuff like this. And that's basically it really. Um, so zap map or plug share, and that will tell you what the charge point is, what network it uses. And then once you know what network uh, the charger that you're wanting to use uses, you can then uh, find whether you need the app for it, if you haven't already got it. If it's contactless, brilliant. You don't need anything. You've already got the uh, debit card or the phone. Yeah, that's it. We're pretty much done, really. That's all I would recommend. As I said, there are regional variations. So if you live in London, Source London makes sense. Get the RFID card for that and so forth and so forth. Uh, okay, well, thank you for watching. Please do subscribe because um, I'm going to be doing like a, an ultimate guide to EV um, ownership and usage and charging. You may already know that if you're watching this after that's gone out. Um, so yeah, please do subscribe. It does help channels like mine. If you've got any questions, comments, that's what the comment section's for. I'm more than happy to answer them. It does get busy sometimes, so give me a bit of time. Um, and if you've got any rants or statements about the state of the charging network, feel free to litter the comment section with, uh, with well, we all like a good moan, don't we? Especially me. <laughs> right, thanks for watching, guys. I'll see you soon. Hello and welcome back to the channel and an extremely windy day up here in the Isle of Skye. I'm here on holiday, but ultimately because I thought I'd take the opportunity to do the introduction for this video next to one of these things, because that's what it's all about, a heat pump. Now, I've been toying with the idea of getting a heat pump for a good year, year and a half, or at least making it part of the plan for the house. If you've watched this video, then it would make sense because you'll know what I'm talking about more in this video. Ultimately, that tells you that over the last six or seven years, we've had a plan to reduce the footprint of the house as well as reduce the running costs of the energy and you know the heating and all the usual sort of stuff. So ultimately, as a long-term plan, it should be financially beneficial. And that's what I've been looking at in terms of heat pumps. I think after all this research, after a year of looking at it, speaking to people who have very much opposite opinions on the same thing, I think I've finally come to the conclusion about whether or not I should get one of these heat pumps. Now, before we go any further, I just want to mention the place we're staying in, which is here. You see, it's got a car charger. You may have seen it at the start of this video. That's how we found this holiday let. We found the charger, we looked at the place and thought, yep, that'll do us. I'm 40 miles from the nearest working rapid charger. It doesn't matter because this makes it phenomenally easier. And check out the view. Now, I should point out, there is no link to the channel. They don't know I'm doing this. I'm mentioning their web address, which is this one right here, because I think more Airbnbs or holiday lets should do this very thing. Get a charger installed, it brings you customers. Just as we've effectively come here purely because it had a charger, or rather we found it because it had a charger and then decided to stay. It needs incentivizing. More people need to put chargers in holiday lets. So it's, well, good for us both. I get a charge, you get more custom. Although I have had to wait three hours for the weather to get slightly nicer so I can film this bit outside. <laughs> I think I've got all the, the water out of my ear now and of course the weather's got better now I've come inside. 
Uh, right, now back to the heat pumps. Again, spoken to lots of people, some giving me completely conflicting data, um, but ultimately I've come to the conclusion that for us, for our house, because let's face it, everybody's different. What I do doesn't necessarily mean it's the best for you in your situation. Um, but for us, I've decided that a heat pump is not the best solution that we can justify. I'm not saying it wouldn't be more efficient than this method or the, <laughs> the path that I'm going down, but given the expense, given other factors I'll come to in the video, it's just not the right fit for us. Um, so let me kind of guide you down the path of how I've arrived to that conclusion. I have a solar array, four panels on one side, 10 on the other. It's an east-west array, so it's, it's by far not the most efficient. On a grey day, not October right now, back in North Yorkshire anyway, um, two to four kilowatt hours. Sunnier day, maybe six, seven. So it's not generating a ton. And it will never generate, apart from kind of the middle summer months, it will never generate more than the house usage uses on any average given day. I'm of course, excluding any EV charging right now. Uh, so because I've got the 8.2 kilowatt hour give energy battery as well, all the excess solar that I have gets soaked up by the battery and then I can use that to power the house doing normal stuff, you know, light bulbs, TVs, that sort of thing, uh, for, for the evening and the night and then the sun comes out the next morning and so forth. I'm also on the time of day tariff, which most people will know about, Octopus Go. That gives me four hours at a much cheaper rate and then the other 20 hours at a much more expensive rate. So at the moment that's 5p and once it renews anyway, about 25p nearly. So it's clearly my, my interest to use that four hour off peak period for as much or if possible, everything. The battery gets topped up at 5p and the sun does the rest. You know, it kind of moves each day depending on what the next day's prediction is in terms of how much generation is likely. So effectively the house is taken care of with the battery and the panels. That means that any solution to electrify my heating, because at the moment I have gas central heating um, for hot water and the house to, you know, to heat it up obviously, it's on demand and it's, it's about 13 years old, working fine, so I don't need to replace it now. But ultimately all the electrification that that would move to would have to come from the grid. So I want to electrify my heating and hot water, that's coming from all the grid because the solar panels, yeah, I'm going to get some in the middle of summer when I don't really need it, but ultimately the house is taken care of. So that just leaves that. What I want to do then is move all that heating and hot water as much as possible, maybe completely to the off peak period. So I'll have four hours to save up enough energy, whether that's electrical energy or thermal storage to then be released through that 20 hour period, the rest of the day to keep the house warm, to keep my hot water warm and so forth. Yes, I can incorporate a heat pump in that. So let's imagine I have a thermal store which stores enough for my hot water and my heating. I can use a heat pump to obviously, to make it more efficient, but the savings just aren't there because in my head anyway, and please, if I'm wrong in this, be, feel free to poke any holes in this logic. But if all or most of my heating bills for that hot water and the house is coming from the 5p period, then getting a heat pump 
which is, even if it doubled the efficiency, I'm only saving two and a half pence per kilowatt hour. It's not like taking a 40 or 30 pence per kilowatt hour down to 10 or 15. You know, it, it, it's, it's a good percentage saving, but it's not a good actual saving. Bear in mind the cost of the heat pump. I can still get the thermal stores, get them to charge from the grid at 5p, at least for the foreseeable future, and then release during the day. The heat pump would make that more efficient, but I've spent a ton of money just to get that extra little bit of saving. So I've had a few quotes for a heat, uh, an SOS heat pump, and it, it's between 10 and 12,000 pounds for us in our house. The RHI grant, which is still around for now, I think it ends March, April-ish this year, uh, sorry, next year. I've been told that I would be eligible for 5,600 pounds back over seven years. So even if I'm happy to play the long game, I'm still looking at five and a half thousand pounds-ish to install an, an SOS heat pump, long-term. That's a lot of money. And that would be on top of all the thermal store and or whatever I decide to do as well. So this is my train of thought. The efficiency will be there if done properly. The savings will be there, but not enough to justify the outlay. Even if there was a £5,000 grant that the government keep on banging on about for SOS heat pumps, I'm still looking at five and a half grandish. Even if I get that all in one go, it's a big outlay for just a bit of saving at the cheap nighttime rate. The people who use their heat pump during the day because they've got solar panels, so they're using free energy. Again, that, that's irrelevant to me because all my energy from my panels goes to the house or into the battery which powers the house. And even though the battery could theoretically power the ASOS heat pump, it's not big enough for that to realistically happen. So again, I have to rely on the grid and because of this cheap nighttime rate, which I reckon I can, I can get everything, well, not everything, most things from, even in winter, it, it doesn't justify, does it? And there are a few other things from staying here that I've also noticed. Now, it's not a problem where we are, the SOS heat pump that I showed you at the start of the video, because it's at the back of the house, no windows, really well insulated, even, even with the windows open, I can't hear it. But when I was stood next to it and it was running, I could. There was a definite noise there where we would have to put our air source heat pump outside, our bedroom window would be directly above it. I mean, there's gonna be a story or two in the way, don't get me wrong, but that window's more often than not open. Apart from in the, if it's freezing in winter, it's closed, but my wife's really hot in bed, what can I say? Um, we've always got a window open, which annoys me, but she needs it. You know exactly what I'm talking about there, <laughs> innuendos aside. Uh, so we would hear that. And even though you can get, maybe get quieter heat pumps than that one, over time, I've been told by many people, it does get a little bit noisier. Then you've got the maintenance of it and other things that need to be factored in. So we're back to this cost saving, hassle of install, the extra complexity. So my plan is to effectively try and find something, maybe something like a sun amp, mix it to the water tank thing, of course, uh, there is uh, something, whoa, what was it called? I'll try and find it for you that I thought was quite interesting. It's quite new. Um, I'm not sure if it's fully to the market. Tepio. It's effectively uh, a boiler, which uses the same sort of 
thermal storage, I think, the sun amp or, or at least similar. So it, it replaces your boiler, stores energy and powers it that way. And I presume if there isn't enough energy, it then gets it from the grid. So that's kind of what I'm after. Although there might be other stuff and this isn't in the market yet, but ultimately store lots of energy, release it to my radiators when necessary during the day and hot water as well and act as an electric boiler for those times where there's not enough stored. So it's that sort of thing I'm looking at. That would give me, well, a pretty decent, efficient system. I don't mind an electric boiler. It's just electricity, electricity is so expensive. It doesn't make sense financially at all. I mean, close to it compared to a gas boiler. But if all that electricity comes at the 5p rate or whatever the equivalent is, because it will probably do that. There will always be that big gulf between on-peak and off-peak. Then I think that's acceptable. I can do that. It's all electric. It's probably no more to run than gas, or at least very slightly. I don't have to change my radiators. I don't have to uh, do any sort of you know install on the house. I don't have to rip anything out. And it can all go in the same place that the current boiler is in. If I have to accept that none of my heating comes from my own generation, from the panels, all has to come from the grid, then let's let's use it properly. Let's kind of take that tariff and just chuck it all in there. My EV has always charged at the four hour cheap rate, which has always been 5p. And as far as I know, will be for quite some time. So it's kind of like doing the same thing with the house, only charging the house up during that four hour period, you just need to make sure you've got enough stored, whether it's thermal or electric, to get you through a winter's cold day. Back full circle to the heat pump, I, I, I just can't do it. it. It doesn't make sense to me. I know a lot of people like them. If I was building a house, I would get one. If I had underfloor heating, which I don't, again, it would be an easier sell. But given the radiators that I have will probably need changing, given the installation, the potential noise, because it's directly above a window that's always open. And we have a very, we live in a village, it's very quiet. You can hear a mouse fart at night usually and sheep in the fields. So we would hear that, you know, that whirring of a heat pump. So that, that, that bothers me a little bit. Then there's the big expensive installation with or without the grant immediately. It's just not for us. At this stage, I would like some uh, information from you guys. Has anybody got a fully grid-reliant heating and hot water system that just charges, as it were, during the off-peak period? The four-hour period with Octopus Go, as an example. Can you get through the day? Do you need too much thermal stuff to make it make sense? I mean, logically, I could get tons of batteries and have electric radiators dotted around my house but then I'd need an awful lot of batteries uh, to the point of absurdity. So um, yeah, that's where I'm going down. And if you've got any ideas, if you've got any help, forget the heat pump, I've decided against that. Stick with this thermal store idea, charging at cheap nighttime rate. Thank you for watching. And remember, people who are members get to see this a week early. There are members only videos that you get. You get the podcast early. Um, all for 99p. You can pay more if you wish. Brilliant if you can. I think that's a billy bargain. 
so yes, thank you. Subscribe if you uh, aren't. Become a member if you are. Usual sales pitch. Press lots of buttons, like and yada yada yada. We, we're all used to this by now, aren't we? On YouTube. So yeah, thank you for watching, guys. I'll see you soon.